So I just had this like fantastic moment, and, and Gwen, you'd appreciate this, I think, in particular. So Gwen's doing the experiment, and you know, she turns the cup upside down, the paper towel holds the water in. I, I, I can't really pick it up in my field of hearing here, but someone behind me goes, ooh. Like that was, it was fantastic. That, that was great, that was great. I, I, I wanna talk to you some about the Bible today and, and a difficulty that I think a lot of us have. I think a lot of us struggle with the Bible because a lot of times it just doesn't seem very applicable, does it? You know, you're reading Isaiah and you're like, I, I don't even know what's going on here. And asking this question, like how, how is this even relevant to me? You, you've been there, right? It, it, it's a good question and it's an honest question. But if you're asking it, it's the wrong question to be asking. Because when you ask the question, how is this relevant to me? What you're in a sense saying is, the only thing really worth listening to from God is something that I can directly understand as making my life better. As though God revolves around me and I'm the center, you know, you see what I mean? As though what God has to say and the wonder of his creation is, is for me and as though God has to explain himself to me and answer my small-minded questions and as though what God, when God speaks, it's only worth listening to if I can kind of figure it out or, or see some kind of ready application. Of course, we don't mean that. I think when we ask that question, but it's kind of hovering underneath. How is this relevant to me? Yes, Lord, speak, but only if I get it. Yes, Lord, speak, but only what I can make sense of or want to hear. And what I want you to do is I want you to shift. I want you to make a shift when you think about the Bible and read the Bible. And instead of asking the question, how is this relevant to me? Simply stand before it with a sense of wonder and awe that God has chosen to say something. And if God has chosen to speak, that's enough. And if God chooses to speak, it is worth listening to, period. And I kind of think about it like, you know, you see a sunset. I mean, you ever see like just one of these absolutely like like breathtaking sunsets. I, I think of times when maybe we're on the, the, the shores of Lake Michigan. You know, you've ever been in Western Michigan and, and, and you see the sun go down over Lake Michigan or if you've ever been on the coast or Hawaii or something like that and you see these sunsets or honestly, even for me, just in like rural Indiana or rural Illinois and you see the sky explode in reds and these hues that, that, that an artist can't even capture over a golden cornfield and you just kind of stand there you know, looking at this, and you know what you never do in moments like this? You never say, how is that sunset relevant to me? To even ask that would be to somehow defile it or debase it or, or to kind of fundamentally miss the point. No, you stand in wonder and awe of something beautiful and powerful and glorious that captures your imagination and you just stand as something small in the presence of in its glory. You know what I mean? So it is with God. So it is with God. We, we stand in the presence and awe 
of a God who chooses to speak. And whether we can see its relevance or not almost misses the point. See, the question to ask is not, is not how it's relevant to me, but how am I relevant to God? The Bible is not something that's to conform to me, but conform me. And so with that, we kind of step into what we're going to talk about today. And at first, it's going to be um, possibly confusing, seem somewhat esoteric, irrelevant, or out there. We've been talking about the prophet Isaiah and how he pictures these, these, these grudge matches or these rivalries between Yahweh and the gods. Two weeks ago, we talked about all of the idols and the gods of ancient Near East and, and how they seem to go head to head with Yahweh in the Bible. And last week, we talked about Marduk specifically and the things that capture our hearts and this contest that's almost set up between Yahweh and those other things. But today, it goes a little bit differently. It's not so much about the gods, but almost an anti-God, a no-God, a nothing. Something that the Bible will talk about is chaos. What we're talking about today is Yahweh versus chaos. And chaos already appears in the second verse of the Bible. Those of you who know how the story of Genesis opens, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The very next verse is this, now the earth was formless and void. I don't know what this strange translation is. The earth was formless and void. And darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That in the beginning was no thing. In the beginning was nothing. That the earth, if you could even call it the earth, just trying to give us a frame of reference, was, was just something. It's, it's formless and void. I love the Hebrew on this. It was tohu vabohu. Isn't that great? Doesn't that just like bring delight to your soul? Say that with me. It'll make you just kind of giggle inside. Tohu vabohu. You know, the next time you're having a conversation with like your spouse or someone and they're just talking like smack and they're just talking like meaningless words, you go, honey, your words are tohu vabohu. And you know what'll happen? You know what she'll do? She'll go to you and go, I've seen the error of my ways. You speak wisdom in truth. The earth was tohu Vabohu. And then it's put in parallel, if you're looking at this, it's, it's described and then it's symbolized as water. The tohu vabohu like water and the spirit of God hovering over the tohu vabohu, the spirit of God hovering over the deep. In the Bible, chaos is often symbolized as water, as the sea, as the deep. It kind of makes sense if you start to think about it and break it down. Water is amorphous, isn't it? 
It takes on the color of what's around it, the shape of what's around it. It it seems passive, and yet by the forces around it can swell up with mighty power. And it's a little bit scary. Would you agree? You ever swim in big water? I love water. I love to swim. I love deep water and big water. I, I even scuba dive. But I know there's these times when you're diving in big water. I think of times that I've dove in dark water, like Lake Michigan, around here. And you put your hand on your mask and you can't even see it. Which does beg the question, like, why to do it with begin with? I don't know. I ask myself that to this day. But have you ever been swimming in big water and you're just like, you start to realize, you know, you're swimming off the boat, you're out maybe a little bit offshore, and you're like, this is pretty deep. And I don't really know how deep it is. And if you're in the Gulf or the ocean or something like that, and then you start to let your mind get away with you because we've all seen Jaws too many times, right? And like, there's beasties in this water. And your mind starts in the deep. Imagine the water is this amorphous, changing, treacherous kind of thing. I think of how J.R.R. Tolkien even describes the words of Lady Galadriel as treacherous as the sea. This deep, mysterious, never-ending, dark abyss that goes on forever. The tohu, vabohu, the symbol of the Bible for the chaos, the nothing. The no thing that seems to become a thing, that seems to even become personified as a force with a will around us and what you'll see in the pages of the Bible, especially the prophets like Isaiah, is how this symbol of chaos, this, this, this symbol of water for chaos, then starts to become personified as something more as a sea monster, like a sea serpent or a dragon. And, and you'll see various names for him in Isaiah and the Bibles, various names that's given things like Lotan and Rahab and Leviathan and even Tiamat, or sometimes simply called Yom with a capital Y, which in Hebrew just means the sea. Let me read a few of these passages to you here today. From Isaiah chapter 51, Look what this prophet cries out, awake, awake, clothe yourself uh, with strength, O arm of Yahweh. Awake as in the days gone by, as in generations of old. Was it not you who cut Rahab to pieces, who pierced that monster through? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made a road in the depths of the sea so that the redeemed might cross over? are from Psalm 74. But you, O God, are my king from old. You bring salvation upon the earth. It was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the water. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him food as food to the creatures of the desert. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers, or from Isaiah 27. And that day, Yahweh will punish with his sword, his fierce, great, and powerful sword. He will bring it against Leviathan, the gliding serpent, Leviathan, the coiling serpent. He will slay the monster of the sea, chaos. This force that 
seems present from the beginning as an ever-present threat to the people and order of God. And chaos is frightening, isn't it? It threatens, it seeks to overwhelm. It seeks to break through. And no matter how you order your life, chaos always seems to find a way to threaten those borders and find weaknesses whereby it can break in. Chaos is big and out of our control. It's unpredictable. And despite our best planning, chaos seems present. And it's strong. It seems stronger than us. It often proves to be. Doesn't it? And at times it feels as though chaos is even bigger than God. Ancient Judah found themselves plunged in chaos. The chaos of Assyria, the chaos of Babylon, the chaos of exile, the chaos of of disorder, the chaos of the fog and aftermath of war. Trembling and unsafe against the unpredictable powers that now controlled their destiny, wondering and crying out, What does this mean the ancient world lived in fear of chaos? We live in fear of chaos. We sit here and seek God, and yet chaos storms all around our lives, threatening us and waiting to break in. And no matter what we do, it seems that chaos is going to win. And some throw up their hands in desperation. Some cry out to God. Some find themselves resigned going through what feels like a life of Yahweh versus futility. Yahweh versus randomness. Yahweh versus a prevailing philosophy. of nothing more than freak chance in life, driven by random mutation and survival of the fitter ones who are bigger than me. But the message of Isaiah is that God, God controls chaos. God tames chaos. God tames your Chaos, too. To God, chaos. And this mighty dragon that seeks to devour is nothing more than a pet that he can put on a leash. I think of what the scriptures say when it talks about God saying, I will never give you more than you can bear. I think of what God says to ancient Judah, crying out to him, saying, I have not come to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. I think of what the New Testament says, that even in the worst of things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Let me read to you, it's in chaos. In the face of chaos, that Yahweh answers Job out of a storm. And he says, who is this that darkens my counsel with words without knowledge? Raise yourself like a man. 
I'm gonna question you and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you understand who marked off its dimensions. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or where were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said, this far you may come. Here is where your proud waves halt. Or in the Psalms, where they declare, he gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear Yahweh. Let all the people of the world revere him. In the Psalms, you see Judah crying out in chaos, pleading with God. Why have you rejected us forever, O God? Why does your anger smolder against the sheep of your pasture? Remember the people you purchased of old, the tribe of your inheritance whom you redeemed, Mount Zion where you dwelt. Turn your steps towards these everlasting ruins. All this destruction the enemy has brought on our sanctuary. Your foes roared in the place where you met with us. They sat. They set up their standards and signs. They behaved like men wielding axes to cut through a thicket of trees. They smashed all the carved paneling with their axes and hatchets. They burned your sanctuary to the ground. They defiled the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, we will crush you completely. They burned every place where God was worshipped in the land. We are given no miraculous signs. No prophets are left. And none of us know how long this will be. How long will the enemy mock you, O God? Will the foe revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the folds of your garment and destroy them. Have you ever prayed like that? Maybe not that eloquently, but have you ever prayed out of the gut of your soul like that? How long, oh Lord? Have you forsaken us, oh Lord? Are you judging me, oh Lord? Why don't you, oh Lord? It is the prayer of the people of God for millennia. But in the midst they turn. In the midst of the lament they turn and say this. But it was you who split open the sea by your power. You broke the heads of the monsters in the water. It was you who crushed the heads of Leviathan and gave him as food for the creatures. It was you who opened up springs and streams. You dried up the ever-flowing rivers. It was in chaos that Jesus was asleep in a boat in a storm, curled up on a cushion 
and the stern. And as the deep sweatened to the deep threatened to engulf them and sweep over them, the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? God, don't you care if we drown? Have you prayed it? God, don't you care? I'm drowning here. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. Close your eyes for a moment, if you would, and listen. He got up. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. And the wind died down and it was completely calm. What is the chaos that is swirling in your life, threatening to overtake and breaking its borders and sweeping in? And what is the chaos that you see that you stand terrified before like the waters of the deep and the monsters that live within, what chaos that's so much bigger than you, out of your control? What chaos do you understand this world and life as we know it into reality to be birthed from and plunged into? Jesus got up. And he rebukes the chaos and says to the waves, quiet, be still. And the one who has all authority and heaven on earth sees the very sea bow before him and chaos become completely calm. The question of Yahweh versus chaos is that when you come face to face with it, the waters of the deep, who will you trust in the midst of it? 
Yahweh invites you to trust him. The people of ancient Israel plunged in chaos and exile. Well, Isaiah, writing to them, has this line, this verse that I want to share with you as we close today that's always impacted me deeply. You know, it just gets under my skin in the right way. Here's what it says from Isaiah 43. But this is what Yahweh says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, Listen to what it says. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel. Your Savior, I love this. I love this. How about you? Say it with me. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am Yahweh, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now do something with me. Do you see the word you? Change it. And make it I. And say it with me again. When I pass through the waters, he will be with me. And when I pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over me. When I walk through the fire, I will not be burned. The flames will not set me ablaze, for he is Yahweh, our God, the Holy One of Israel, my Savior. This is God's promise to you. God has spoken. God has spoken and it is enough. And he invites you when he speaks to stand in wonder and awe of what he says and to trust him. To dare to believe that he's faithful. To dare to believe that what your chaos might be, God has said something to you. Oh, cling to this. Let this sink into your, into your soul. Write it on your heart and your mind. Say it to yourself every time the waters of chaos and its monster rears its head. That he is the one who calms the sea. He is the one who slays the monster. He is the one who will be with me in the midst of it. Yahweh, my God, my Savior. So let's rise. Let's rise and let's pray to him today. Yahweh, my Savior, 
save me. You are a God who saves, a God who delights in rescuing his people, who delights in rescuing the weak and the powerless, the broken and the oppressed. Come to your people today, the creation of your hand. Come to these people and in the midst of chaos, as the water breaks over their heads, as they flail and drown, reach down and calm the waves. Pull them out. Separate the waters with dry ground to walk on. As your people crossed through the Red Sea, broken to the right and the left, God, as we pass through the sea that seeks to overtake with the enemies bearing down, may we know that you are God, the God of old. the God who tames chaos and puts it in its place. Forgive us, God, for the doubt of our heart, for the foolishness of our thinking, for the way that we lose sight of your plan and presence and purpose in this world, for the times we become overwhelmed with the futility of it all, crying out, God, why don't you? When will you? God, are you? Forgive us. Forgive us today and hear us together. Hear us together now as we, as we pray. Merciful God, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. What I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Nothing good lives in my sinful nature. I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out when I want to do good. Evil is right there with me. I delight in your law, but another law is at work within me, waging war against my mind and making me a prisoner of sin. O wretched person that I am, rescue me from this body of death. And he did. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for you. The one who stills the storm and the sea. He sent this one and plunged him into chaos. And Jesus did it willingly. He went into the midst of chaos and bore it upon himself to rescue you, to free you, to forgive you of all your sins. What you come here with today in Christ, you are forgiven. What you come here today in Christ, it's washed away. No matter who you are today, he did this for you. And he says, come, come here, come to me. May the power and majesty, the strength and the glory of the almighty God, Yahweh and his son, Jesus Christ, come into your chaos.
today.